0: I want to walk through Acts chapter 8 this morning. At first glance, this isn't one of the banner chapters, so to speak, like Acts 2 where you have the outpouring, or Acts 6 and 7 where you have Stephen's persecution, or even Acts 9 with Saul's conversion. But um, this is the transition chapter where they end up leaving Jerusalem, and so there are some things that I want to bring out in regard to that. And just walk through that together. So at the end of Acts chapter 7, Stephen had been put to death. The cloaks were laid at Saul's feet. And then it says, Saul approved of their killing him on the day a great persecution broke out against the church. They were scattered throughout all Judea and Samaria. Saul began to destroy the church going house to house, dragging off both men and women and putting them in prison. So, these guys have been going through some conflicts with the Jewish establishment, the political hierarchy, um, for a, a season. And then suddenly, when Stephen is put to death, it's like things are unleashed. And so, people are fearing for their lives. They're running to different regions of the country just to escape. Now, what I want you to note is that... Thankfully, most of us have rarely been in situations where we feared for ourselves and even of a less frequency is the fearing for your life. Every now and then somebody will tell a story that way of being in that position, but can you imagine just the, the intensity of emotion that way and just running, leaving all that's familiar and just going, not real sure where you're going to land, just know that you need to move. So all that said, um, there are several things that take place that I want you to note. The next verse in 4, it says, Those who had been scattered preached the word wherever they went. What had ever transpired in their lives in regard to a commitment to Christ and the salvation experience and all that they'd been a part of was so strong within their core being that it didn't matter what the circumstances were, it didn't matter how dramatic things were and how disastrous the immediate appeared, this was still a part of their thinking and their joy, okay? So that it's still dominating their lives even though they're, they're running and, and don't know how long they're going to live. I just... I, often our, our our first response when things go wrong is, "God, why? I had a flat tire this week, Lord, are you I tried to serve you <laughs> you, know? <laughs> you know i you know and i'm I'm looking at this you know and it, in, in light of eternity, it's not that big a deal i I've had a week to process this, Uh, (laughs) okay? But can you imagine if we were to take the events of life this way and begin to look at it and say, what is God working through this? And numerous of the disasters of life, so to speak, and be willing to say, God's hand is in this. This is very similar to the Joseph thing where his brother sold him into slavery and he's saying God intended this for good. The saving of many people. And so, you know, to this point, the church had been in Jerusalem. Awesome things have been taking place. Thousands of people had come to the Lord, but now it's going outward and it's not intentional on their part. They're just trying to survive. So, how many things in our lives where we're trying to survive or trying to get by, or just trying to to get on with life, how many of those things are really God moments or God ordained, God used so that w- the gospel might go forward, or our lives might be changed to be more like Him, or you know whatever His intent, are we willing to take those things and look at them and say this, is, this has a silver lining, so to speak. There's something within this that can be used for the glory of God. It is not to just fall into depression and say, oh, when is this going to right itself? In a sense, true faith and this awareness of what God has done is, is going to pull us into other things. Furthermore, I, I put it out to you that what they had in Christ is more than just an intellectual assent. Because oftentimes when crisis has come, that's, that stuff just breaks down. You know, I, <laughs> I thought this was working, but obviously it doesn't, so I, I guess I, you know, I was wrong. Instead, they're going on and they're continuing to present the gospel because they know that even this is not overwhelming what's transpired in their lives. Okay, so here's one of the stories. You know, they, they pull out different things that happened. Philip went down to the city of Samaria and proclaimed the Messiah there. Crowds heard, the signs he performed, impure spirits came out of many, paralyzed and lame people were healed. So... This is, this is moving forward, and it's moving forward with power. And here's a, a second-generation Christian. This wouldn't have been one of the initial group, but this is someone that was one of those numbers early on when we're reading about getting saved. And so he, he is moving forward as well. And so, you know, remember in Acts 6, they, they appointed deacons, and he's one of the deacons. You know, the the apostle said, find men of wisdom and of the Holy Spirit and uh, appoint them over this role. So he had moved into a leadership position, but now in fleeing for his life, he's declaring the goodness of God, and things are beginning to take place that are moving and propelling him into further ministry in the Lord that goes way beyond any of the initial pictures but he'd been faithful in the little things, he'd been faithful in the development, and now God is using him in a powerful way. So he is putting this out, and I love this phrase in verse 8, it says, so there was great joy in the city. These people fleeing for their lives, transformed by the Lord, step into the environment that they're in, and suddenly it's transformed in joy. That's incredible. The presence of God in their lives is going outward. It's not being crushed. Now here's one of the stories that comes out of it. There was a man named Simon who had practiced sorcery. He boasted he was someone great. And people gave him their attention. Great power of God is on this man. Well, he ends up believing So, again, Philip goes into a place that he's unfamiliar with, he speaks to the Lord, God works through him mightily, and then the strong man of the city, so to speak, ends up coming to Christ. You know, it's not like Philip's avoiding him or, you know, he's too bad to accept Christ or, you know... All the things that we might make as excuses ourselves, but the gospel is pushing forward and transforming. <laughs> you know, I I can look at a neighbor and say, "Well, they're not open to the gospel. They don't smile when I see them. <laughs> they're not into sorcery or anything." You know, you know, we get so picky about or small-minded, so to speak, and yet when we read what's happening in this, you know, we recognize, this is where I want to go. This is what I want to be attached to. And so they believed Philip, the good news of the kingdom of God, in the name Jesus Christ, He baptized both men and women. Simon himself believed and was baptized, and he followed Philip everywhere, astonished at the great signs and miracles. So here's a dynamic conversion, right? Okay, the apostles in Jerusalem hear about this, and so they send Peter and John down to Samaria to see what's going on. It says, when they arrived, they prayed, new believers there, that they might receive the Holy Spirit, because the Holy Spirit had not yet come on any of them, and they had simply been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. I don't know what this does for your theology, but this messes with a batch of people, right? You know, because we all believe that there's a birth of the Spirit at salvation, but what's this second experience that they're having? Um, I guess I don't have to argue with you. Argue with the Scripture. If, if there's an awareness in reading that's, that there might be something more, shouldn't it create a thirst in us and just say, I'd like that for myself? Wouldn't hurt to try. Um, Anyway, there were a number that received this, uh, it says they placed their hands on them and they received the Holy Spirit. Oh, here's another thing. What's the importance of laying on hands? Well, we're not quite sure. But again, (laughs) might as well try it, right? You see James calling out for the elders of the church, come lay hands on so it was something that transitioned, and, and it's. For, I don't know that the form is so important, but I'm just looking and saying, God was working through this. And so, whether I have to understand it all or not, sure wouldn't hurt to try it. And, or let somebody try that on me and, and not be, oh, you're touching me. What they, you know, where's this going? You know? <laughs> I don't know. I just I just know that when we want God, there's a lot of things that go beyond our understanding. But there's an awareness when we read these passages that they're powerful, and there's that heart desire and craving for it for ourselves as well. Now, here's here's another dimension of. This. Simon saw that the Spirit was given at the laying on of the apostles' hands, and he offered them money. He said, "Give me this ability, so that everyone whom I lay my hands on may receive the Holy Spirit." Um, you know, now we can look, you know, backwards and go, "Oh, yeah, he he'd had a lot of prominence, and you know, maybe his own ego now wants to he wants to continue in the public eye. You know, he got used to it, enjoyed that." Um whatever the case, what stirs my heart in this, he says, you know, Peter says, may your money perish with you because you thought you could buy the gift of God with money. So again, there, there's an important principle, right? We don't buy God's hand, never will, don't have enough money, <laughs> for one, when he owns it all. But beyond that, we don't, you can't force his hand. That's what's coming out of this. But also, he says, You have no part or share in this ministry because your heart's not right with God. Repent of this wickedness and pray to the Lord in hope that he may forgive. And then he goes, I see that you're full of bitterness and captive to sin. And then he says, Pray to the Lord for me so that nothing of what you've said may happen to me. So again, Now, not saying that we're Simon, but what was the hindrance for Simon receiving of the Lord? Part of it was a misunderstanding, thinking he could buy it. But secondly, there's this thing where Peter is going, you are full of sin and bitterness. And so maybe the question that comes naturally to us is, okay, I'm wanting to step into something more in the Lord. I'm wanting to see Him work through my lives. Are there issues of sin and bitterness that I haven't dealt with yet? Are there things in my life that would hinder the work of the Holy Spirit from accomplishing all that, that could be accomplished through my life in Him? And so it's a fair question for us to walk through and say, Lord, is there something here that I'm holding against someone else that I need to let go? Is there an area of sin that I have been clinging to that I enjoy that, you know, that I, I tend to dismiss as its value and just say, you know, it's, it's just part of me, but the truth is you want it out of me, and we'd have to say that if we want to, if we want the Lord above all other things, then there's nothing inside that is worthy enough of hanging on to. To hinder that process. You know, we're, we're looking at this with kind of awe that a second-generation Christian who had served dutifully as a, deacon, you know, waited on tables, first job wasn't all that glamorous, right? But now he's at a point where it is beginning to explode, and we're going, oh, oh, what happened? And you know, maybe we have to get back to some of the core things. Just saying, okay, I see what's in front of me, and and there are things that need to be dealt with in my life, and there are acts of service that are pretty mundane, but you know, God will see fit in His time when it's appropriate if there's a change to be had. So, uh, going on. After they had further proclaimed the word of the Lord and testified about Jesus. Peter and John returned to Jerusalem, preaching the gospel in many Samaritan villages. So here, the transition's going even wider. People got pushed out of town through circumstances that they didn't want, didn't desire, didn't orchestrate, but they began spontaneously declaring the goodness of God. But now the disciples are seeing, this thing's meant for more than Jerusalem. This thing's meant for more than just people coming to us. This is something that we can begin to declare. And so really, Jesus' words, you know, you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the earth. This is beginning to take place, and these guys are beginning to be proactive, so to speak. They're not just fleeing for the lives, but they're beginning to declare in other villages, this is a message that all need to hear. So this expansion is beginning to take place. Then it goes back to Philip, okay? So Philip's really the first one out of town that gets noted, but now it's about to ramp up even more. An angel of the Lord said to Philip, Oh, God, he saw an angel. <laughs> Another one on the list, you know, <laughs> of things you'd like to see. At least I'd like to see. I mean, I <laughs> I pray for a glimpse of heaven. I pray for things like that. I'm, I'm gluttonous in, in regard to that kind of thing. I, why not? But he says, uh, an angel said, him, go south on the road, goes down to Gaza, and start, so he started out. He met an Ethiopian eunuch, an important official. And then it says, the Spirit told Philip, go, go to that chariot and stay near it. So, again, he is functioning under spirit guidance to go do things in life. Now, God's used an angel, and I, I'm going, okay, I'd like to see the angel again. Just, let's just stick to that. But, no, he's, he is, he's aware of what it means to function in the spirit and be guided by God. And so it says the Spirit tells him, go stand by that chariot. So he goes and stands by the chariot. Here's the man reading out of Isaiah, which again says that Philip has an, an awareness and an understanding of Scripture. He notes what's being read and he knows where it's from and what's going on. And he says, well, do you understand what you're reading? The guy goes, no, I, I am I going to understand this without some kind of help? And so then they start the conversation, and uh, Philip explains the good news of Jesus. And then the man goes, well, look, what can stand in the way of my being baptized? He gave orders to stop the chariot. They went down into the water, and Philip baptized him. Again, we're looking at what the New Testament church was practicing and what's going on so, when this man says, I embrace the person of Jesus Christ, he participates in water baptism. And so, the question begs to be asked, what makes us different? Why would we not want to participate in something that was an ordinary part of New Testament life in Scripture and teaching? So, he goes down, gets baptized. Um, There's lots of discussion about was he dunked, was he poured upon, you know. Who cares? I don't. Uh, sorry. I guess maybe. Uh, no, I'm not sorry. I, it's a, a foolish area of discussion that tends to diminish the, the big picture. These people were responding to the Lord, and this was a visual declaration to anybody that could see of what had, was transpiring inside their lives. And that's what they did. Part and practice of that day. Um, again, we have, it, we have it very tidy. We can do it indoors. We can warm it up. Uh, slick. Slick. Of course, most of you like Lake Superior better anyway, which, whatever. It's, again, do we we have to know the full dynamics of all the ins and outs of it before we practice the obedience of what's been declared to us? And I suggest to you that in the Lord, there's going to be questions your entire life. And there are going to be questions even like, Philip, why stand by the chariot? Would have been going through my mind. How long do I stand by the chariot? Is this really an open door to talk? You know, I can miss golden opportunities like that where it's set out right in front of us. But what I also want to suggest even in this is that God does set golden opportunities right there for us to just give verbal declaration of his praises, if we'll take them. Okay, a few more verses. Um, So when they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord suddenly took Philip away, and the eunuch did not see him again, but went on his way rejoicing. Philip, however, appeared at Azotus and traveled about, preaching the gospel in all the towns until he reached Caesarea. Um, from from uh, Gaza to Azotus, roughly 35 miles. And, uh, you know, it, it all depends on the commentary you read. If the man doesn't believe in miracles... It's real easy to say, well, it's just the phrasing that appears that Philip went from one place to the next, and nobody knows how he got there. If, if you do believe in miracles, it's written in such a way that it's easy to believe that uh, he actually was translated from one place to the next. Um, do I know about that? Well, as old as I looked, I wasn't there. <laughs> Seriously. No. <laughs> My tendency is to say, Yeah, it looks like a miracle to me. Um, But the beauty of this is is that God took Philip from one place, put him in another. He began to preach the gospel and continued in that preaching of the gospel. So here's a life that's been transformed, being used mightily of God, who went through the uh, persecution and didn't let it overwhelm him, but rather was used it for the glory of the Lord. And a complication of life did not stop him from continuing on in the Lord or lose his joy, so to speak, but rather joy was exported to many others as a result of his declaring the goodness of God. May that be the mark upon our lives as well. Whether we move because of an intentional, the gospel needs to be heard here, or because we're put into a place that we don't want to be and got there in a way that we didn't want to, to use. But because we're there, there's an opportunity for the joy of God to be known to others. So let us speak boldly and acknowledge the goodness of God in all things. Thank you, Lord, for your Scripture. It speaks life to us, for these passages that are so amazing. Speak to our hearts now as to what your desires are. Amen. This passage opened up so many things as far as Christian experience and opportunity in the Lord. And so I just put it out to you. If you have yet to accept Christ, if you recognize that He's during something in your heart today, then you need to take care of that, okay? Uh, find someone that you trust, ask them to pray with you, and just walk you through that experience if you would. If there's that hunger for Holy Spirit experience and, and pouring out, whatever you want to call it, um, then there's opportunity for that way as well. It might be that you're saying, would somebody lay hands on me? And just that I might receive of the Lord. Uh, maybe you're saying, well, you know what? I need to take care of this thing of baptism. I, I, for whatever reason, just haven't gotten it done. Well, then let's take care of that. Um, you know just, you might say well I've started I know God's leading me outward I know he wants me to speak life but I need a I, I just I need the confidence to do that in the way that he desires so we'll pray for that as well but again uh, there's opportunity for prayer up here or seek someone you trust just let's just get it done either way what remains is open-ended you'll dismiss yourselves when you're done there'll be a meal downstairs following as well May your blessing rest on these, your people. May they know the fullness of favor that you intend for their lives. May they discover with joy all that you have for them. I pray as each one goes into the community that you'll give them words of life to speak over others. I pray that you'll enable them to carry out the workings of your kingdom. Gift them with the supernatural, I pray. Exalted and lifted up, our Lord, we pray. Bless you.